with us. Uh, am I on? Let's see, just suck it. Good, good day. All right. Uh, there's so much going on at Landmark right now. I, I just want to comment. I've been here for a long, long time, and I don't remember where there's more new initiatives, more new ministries, more new events going on, and that's awesome. But here's what I want you to know if you're here today, is we need your help. We can't have the same 100, 200 people pulling everything off. So if, if you're new with us, step forward. Uh, you, you could play a great role. And there's no more important role than being a small group leader in our church. We're a big church, and the way we stay small is by having lots and lots of small groups. And so this afternoon at 1230, uh, even if you've not made plans to be here, we'll have lunch for you. Please come back to the celebration room. We'll serve lunch. We'll have a great period of training. All you need to do after that is go grab some friends and say, let's start having a group, and we'll prepare you for that. So please, please be a part of that. Well, if you're new with us today, we're studying the book of 1 Peter, which is a great book. So if you have your journal or your Bible, your phone, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, today's topic is not exactly the easiest topic because the book of Peter talks an awful lot about suffering. So that's what we're talking about today. You think, maybe I need some early lunch plans, buddy. I don't know that I want to hear about suffering. Let me tell you, in the book of 1 Peter, suffering is mentioned 21 times. You see, the people that he's writing are right on the verge of incredible persecution. It's already started, and it's going to get worse. And as Americans today, we know there is some persecution already of Christians, part of what Nathan talked about, this discouraging. But we're probably on the cusp of a whole lot more. Now, when I was a kid going to church, we would always pray for people in foreign countries that were overcoming persecution. But here's what I want you to know today. There are now people in foreign countries praying for us in America to overcome persecution. So we need these words today. So look at 1 Peter 1 verse 7 on the screen with me. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire, test and purifies gold. Through your, though your faith is far more precious than gold. What's he saying? Guys, it's like going into the furnace. Uh, it, when we go through persecution and trials and pains and hurts, God uses it as a refining process to us. And so, you know, he calls this fiery. Uh, the word there simply means they are painful trials. And he says here, in the middle of this, guys, we find out, really and truly, if our faith is genuine. So this morning, let's learn about how faith responds in the middle of the furnace. Okay, now, here's what's so cool to me. We're learning this from Simon Peter. If you remember, when Jesus is being crucified, Peter avoids suffering and pain at all costs. But now Peter has matured, and it's Simon Peter who's teaching us how to handle suffering. Now, as we talk about this today, we're starting in verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what he says to this group of suffering Christians. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. How do we handle 
this time. First of all, don't be surprised. He says, guys, this is in the cards for you. Don't be surprised. John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul said that we are, listen to this, I've never paid attention to this verse before. We are destined for trials. Listen, there's some sermons I preach up here that I go, okay, I know there's a few people this applies to or maybe half the people. This is a message that applies to every one of us in this room because either you have been through suffering, you are going through suffering, or you will go through suffering. It's guaranteed. Now, this is a hard message for us because in Western culture, we're taught to avoid suffering. If i got a problem, there's got to be a book or a pill or a counselor or something. I'm for all those things. But we seek in every way we can to somehow avoid suffering. Now, Peter's going to say something that's really crazy to us. He's going to say, embrace it. In fact, you want to hear how crazy it gets? Look at verse 13. But, I can't believe this word's here, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The next point is simply, in the midst of suffering, he says, rejoice. Now, does that sound crazy to you? I mean, can you imagine, I can't imagine, even as a minister, going to visit the hospital, someone's deathly sick, And my advice to them on their bed is, hey, man, you need to be rejoicing. To us, that sounds crazy. But hold on to this one. At the end of our message today, we're going to talk about why you can rejoice in suffering. And then he begins to challenge them about why they're suffering. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or meddler. And Peter says this over and over in this book. He's not wanting somebody to do something bad and get in trouble and say, oh, I'm suffering for God. He said, no, that's not the way it works. Yet, here we go. If someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, now, what that word judgment means there is we need to, it's time for evaluation in the house of God. Because this, this fire is going to test our faith to see if it's real. He says, um, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then here's a really hard verse. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Now, what in the world, Peter, are you saying? Are you saying we're just barely saved, you know? We can't know if we're saved? That's not what he's saying here, guys. What he's saying here is if you and I are saved on the basis of the grace of God, we can't be saved by our own effort, by our own works. We're saved by the grace of God. If that's true of us, he says, what happens to people who reject and disobey the gospel? So the next point here is to examine yourself. He says, you need to look, you know, I am suffering, but am I suffering for doing good or evil? Am I suffering because of bad decisions or selfish desires? If I am, 
the Bible's got some instructions. If, if you're suffering because you've just not been treating people right, well, then repent of it, confess it, and get past it. You know, sometimes, have you ever seen someone as a Christian go out and act like a jerk, and, and then they come back and, and, and act like they've been persecuted? Uh, you've probably read about that group of Christians that protest at every military funeral and screams obscenities because of a stand they're trying to make. Now, my friends, guys, when you act like a jerk for Jesus, don't blame God on your suffering, okay? Okay, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying when you're out there and you're living a righteous, lovely, good life, and you're standing for Jesus and living like Jesus and people persecute you, man, you can feel good about that. And then the, the most important verse, I think, in this section is verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. He says, entrust yourself to God. Listen, I know I'm talking to some folks this morning, and you're going through a tough time in life. And here's the answer. You entrust yourself to God. Because all of us get to this, what I call this decisive point. You're going through a trial or persecution or suffering. you got some kind of emotional or physical or mental health issue going on. And, and it comes to a point. And, and in that point, you have to decide, am I going to trust myself? Am I going to trust myself to figure it out, to overcome it, to get something? Or am I going to get to this point and finally say, you know what, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good to me, but I trust you. That's the point. Now, listen to this, um, this incredible statement by Philip Yancey. I've learned that faith means trusting in advance what will make sense in reverse. Can, can I read that again? I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Guys, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't always make sense. It's normally when we look at it in the rearview mirror and go, okay. It may be eternity when I go, okay, God, this now makes sense. But what I do right now, I say, you know what, God? I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to understand it. I'm just surrendering to you. This word entrust here is a banking word of uh, uh, putting a deposit in a safe place. You remember in chapter 1, Paul, Peter said, our faith is secure in Jesus, that it's guarded that's what he's saying. You put your faith in Jesus and trust the situation to Jesus, and he will see you through. It, it, it's like Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' last statement on the cross? Because, I mean, Jesus is struggling, guys. He's even questioning his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he finally says at the end, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, in the long run, I'm trusting you. So let's look at this. Let's, let's watch Jesus trust God. Because back in chapter 2, there's a great section that says, when you're going through suffering, who you need to look at is you need to look at Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, go with me to verse 22. Now, it's what it says about Jesus. He committed no sin, 
neither was there deceit found in his mouth. He's just going ahead and telling us. Jesus was suffering and persecuted by no fault of his own. He's the only perfect person to ever live. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, here's our word, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Does that not always amaze you? When you see Jesus through his trials and through the cross and people are cursing him and people are spitting on his face and they're nailing nails in his hands and Jesus never retaliates. In fact, he forgives them. We used to sing a song. I love this old song. He could have called what? 10,000 angels. I mean, if Jesus had wanted to, man, he could have obliterated them on the spot. But Jesus says, no, that's not how you handle suffering. And look at this last verse here in this section. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Here's Peter's final word of advice. If you're suffering, follow Jesus. You see, let me, let me just tell you something that, that makes life a little bit hard. When you're going through an awful time, God doesn't spend much time in his word answering the why question. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're going through something, you're going, God, I don't deserve this. Why did this happen? Why did this person reject me? Why did I get this disease? Why did I lose my job? Why, why, why? And honestly, guys, God doesn't spend a lot of time answering the why question. But here's the question he does answer. He answers the where question. In the middle of your suffering, where is God? He is with you. You you see, God's answer to our suffering was not for him to stay in heaven and, and send down platitudes and nice sayings for us. God's answer to suffering was to become one of us and join us in suffering. God's answer to suffering was not to let us off the hook or himself off the hook or to explain it away. God's answering to suffering was to impel himself in death on a cross. God's answering to suffering was not to escape suffering. God's answer to your suffering and my suffering was to enter that suffering. Now listen, God is not distant to human suffering. He's a part of it. Now, at this point in our service, we're about to to take communion together. And, And in this moment, I want you to remember what Jesus did for us. And if today you're struggling in life, don't do what I was told to as a kid. I remember when somebody would get up and they'd lead communion thoughts, often they'd say something like this. Before we take communions, let go of all the cares and concerns of the world, and now let's go take communion. I understand what they were trying to say, but I don't think it's right. I think what Jesus would say is that you take communion today. Don't let go of those things. Don't let go of your pain, your suffering. Bring it to the cross where he can bear it with you. Because just a moment, you know, you can use these little communion 
cups with a, just a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice, and it, it looks rather insignificant. But listen to me, friends. Biblically, it's big time. Because what it says to you in the middle of this is you bring your pain and suffering. We are healed by his wounds. And, and where is God? Oh, God, this, this, is what, this is what communion says. God's not up there. He's not even just sitting there on the pew beside you. He is in you. You're about to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus. It freaks some people out, but Jesus said, I will be in you. And so today, as you bring your issues and your suffering, remember, he's right there with you. You know, author Peter, when he watched Jesus die on the cross, he stood at a distance. Years later, Jesus watched Peter die on a cross, and God did not stand in a distance. He was in Peter. And this morning, we're about to take communion. There's tables all around the worship center where you can get your communion supplies. If you'd like to go pray with somebody through this or talk about this, or if you just want to come back to your pew and take it by yourself, that's okay. But I'm encouraging you right now, don't leave your problems away from here. Bring them in here and let Jesus meet you in your suffering. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much right now for Jesus. We thank you that when you wanted to answer the problem of our suffering, you didn't just give us some good advice. You entered the world, lived a perfect life, was unjustly persecuted and crucified so that you could meet us in our time of need. Thank you, God, as we partake of the body and blood of Jesus. God, help us to feel your closeness today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. My prayer is that you just uh, had that holy moment. Well, I promised you uh, earlier in the message that before you walked out of here, we were going to answer this question of how in the world can I rejoice when I'm in the middle of suffering? I want to start with this quotation I saw this week by a lady named Susan Bolin. She says, there's no such thing as pointless pain in the life of a child of God. My friends, whatever's going on in your life, we have a God who's powerful enough and to use it for something good. So what is God's work in the furnace? You sang earlier in our service, I've got joy in this place. I've got peace that makes no sense. How is that possible when everything around you is falling apart? Number one, it's fellowship with Jesus. The promise of Scripture is in our suffering, we come close to Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said something that sounds crazy to us in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Jesus and fellowship in his suffering. And and that's why in Acts chapter 4, where they're beaten for Jesus, they rejoice and count themselves worthy to be persecuted for Jesus. Because it's in the middle of that moment where you get closest to Jesus. I wouldn't say this morning that I've been persecuted a lot in my life, but there's been some moments I've felt that. But I would tell you that in those moments have been the closest moments in my life of knowing I got to rely on Jesus. 
And number two is what I'm going to call glory from the Spirit. There was a phrase used back in 1 Peter chapter 4 that I, I'd never noticed. I think it's really, really cool. He says, the Spirit of glory and God rest on you. Now, that's Old Testament language. You see, when God's tabernacle would move, the glory of God would rest on top of it. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he has to pass through the cloud of the glory of God. And when Moses comes down, he's glowing from being with God. In the New Testament, when Stephen is being stoned as the first Christian martyr, he looks up to Jesus who's standing, and he sees the glory of God. And Stephen glows with that glory. And most people believe watching that was the beginning of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You see, it's that glory, it's that glow that we have in those times that really influences people for Jesus. Charles Stanley put it this way, nothing attracts the unbeliever like a saint successfully suffering. That's why I believe that God lets a believer and an unbeliever get cancer on the same day. I believe that's why at times a believer and an unbeliever will go through a divorce. At times a believer and an unbeliever will go through bankruptcy. At times a believer and an unbeliever will be rejected in a relationship. Why does God allow those things to happen? Because God wants people to see his glory by the way the believer handles the strife. Guys, when everything's going good in your life, nobody goes, wow, man, those Christians, aren't they awesome, man? Of course they're awesome. God does everything they want. But it's when everything's not going so good in my life, and, you know, we got a bad boss, and they see me go to work with joy. When, when we both have problems with our children, and they see me handle it with joy, and they go, my goodness, how can you be joyful. How do you glow in the middle of this? And then you can say, it's because of God. Number, number three, why can rejoice? Because the Bible says we're refined by fire. Guys, it, it, it's through the trials and tribulations of life that God burns off the impurity, just like a blacksmith does with gold. He changes it. There's a New York Times writer named David Brooks I've fallen in love with. He's a strong Christian. And he talks about our culture's obsession with happiness. So he says, we're obsessed with happiness, but growth normally comes through difficulty. Listen to what he says. When people remember the past, they don't normally talk about happiness. It's often the ordeals and trials that seem most significant. People shoot for happiness, but are formed by suffering. I'm a part of a man church group every Thursday morning, and every few weeks we, we ask somebody to share their story. How, how was your life? How did you come to Christ? How was your life formed? What? And, 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 you know, he's right. The things we normally highlight are when we went through a tough time growing up or tough time in our marriage or tough time here and how God actually used that to form us. And then what else does God do in the furnace? He gives us a heart of compassion. 
Guys, if everything always went your way, and everything always went my way, we would all be tempted to be cocky suckers, right? I mean, you know, I, mean, I must be living a good life. Everything's going my way. Man, God's blessing me, and, you know, I'm really better than somebody else. No, 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 no. When God puts you through the furnace, you learn to have compassion for people who've got problems. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. This is so strong. God comforts us in our troubles so we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we've received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ flows into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. What's he saying? The comfort we've received from God, even the sufferings that Jesus, they flow out of us to bless someone else suffering. You know, we're about to come up to gridiron, and it was hit. I was thinking last night about this message. And uh, just a few years ago, we had uh, Mark Rick as our speaker. He was really amazing. Mark Rick's the former University of Georgia head coach, a man of great faith. But just a few months before he came to gridiron, he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And you know how awful Parkinson's disease is. And I remember when we were all there getting ready, Junior Bagwell came in, and most of you know Junior's one of the all-stars of this church who's been suffering for Parkinson's for years and years and just an inspiration to us. But Junior walked into the lobby of the Life Center, and he came up to me, and he said, I want to see Mark Rick. I want to talk to him about what this is like. I want to help him. And that was such a beautiful moment. And I don't know what you've been through in your life. I know you've been through something. But more than likely, that moment, that place will be the door for your ministry. I know suffering from depression in my life allows me, when someone comes to me and they're depressing, I I don't say, well, you know, I'll pray for you, but I don't really understand this. I'm like, I get it. And, And you know with your problem, whatever it may be, it's the person who gets it that can actually help you. And that's what these trials do. And number five, they lead us to humble dependence on God. Guys, we're most vulnerable to Satan's attacks when everything's going well in our life. We're most likely to turn to God when I can't get it, I don't understand it, I don't like it, and I just say, God, I've got to have you. I'm not going to make it tomorrow. I'm going to have to start living one day at a time because I can't hardly put a foot in front of the other unless you give me the power. You been there? And number six, it loosens our grip on the world. If life is too easy, and this is one of our problems in the Western world, is sometimes we have enough money to make it look easy. If life is easy enough, I fall too in love with this world. I decide I'd like to stay here. And when I go through difficult times, it reminds me this world is not my home. I don't want it to be my home. I want to get to that place where I am with God. And then number seven, it tightens our relationships. Because here's what I want you to understand. When you go through difficult times, God never wanted you to go alone. First of all, he's there. But he knows that's even not enough. He wants you to have your Christians and brothers and sisters. Galatians 6, 2 says it this way. We are to bear each other's burdens. You got a burden today? 
You know how much easier it is when you're yoked with another person to carry that burden? That's what God wants. Now, some of you are new here today, or maybe some of you are new to church, or maybe um, you've been hurt by church. Let, Let me tell you the kind of church we want to be. We want to be the kind of church where we bear each other's burdens. We don't want you to leave your problems out there. We want you to bring them in here. Because we know an almighty God that can change things, and we also know that we can help bear that burden with you. And that's why we want to continue to be an open church. So many churches, everybody just walks in, and you act like you're perfect, and you act like you got it together, and you never say you got a problem. That's not church. Churches, when we come in, go, we all got some problems, but we all know God, and we got each other, and we'll do better if we bear each other burdens. And so you look back at some of the best friendships in your life, I will guarantee you most of them happen in the middle of trials. That's what God does. So just look at our list for a moment. Why can we have joy when we're suffering? I don't think he's saying, guys, you got to clap when you start suffering. I think he's saying, you know what? You got to look beyond the suffering and you got to look at what God is doing in the middle of that furnace. God does, uh, this is not an exhaustive list, but this, these are the things that God does. I ran into a, a verse this week I'd never noticed before. Psalms 119, verse 72. Here's what the psalmist says. My troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Isn't that cool? When I went through troubles, I knew I had to have God. I needed to listen to God. Listen, my friends, struggles will break you. They will. And they can break you in two different directions. We all know this. Either when I'm going through a really awful time, I can get mad at God and move away from God. I've seen lots of people do that. Or when I go through that awful time, I can move toward God. And this morning, I'm inviting you to move toward God. In this moment, I want to call up all of our shepherds and their spouses and ministers and their spouses to surround the stage. A couple of them will be back in some back corners. But all of you, get in position because we're wanting to have a time of prayer right now. Because I don't want you to walk out of here burdened by what's going on in your life. This is a place to unburden yourself, Okay. And so there'll be people surrounding here. Here's what you got to do, guys. All you've got to do is walk up to one of these couples and say, you know, first of all, it'd be really nice if you gave them your name, right? Because we go blank up here sometimes. So just say, here's my name, and here's what I'm going through. You don't have to write it on a card. I'm not going to get up here and talk about it. You're just going to meet with some people who love you and say, this is what's going on, and they're going to stop right now and pray for you. There are people in the back, there are people in the middle, there are people up front. And I just want to encourage you, don't pass up this opportunity. I I don't know how you're hurting right now. It might be physical. That's tough. It might be emotional. Maybe it is anxiety or depression. It's rampant in our culture. Maybe it's relational. Something's going on in your marriage or something going on in your children, your grandchildren, or, or just a friendship, and you need some prayers. Maybe it's vocational. Something's bad at your work and it's causing a lot of turmoil in your life. I don't, 
it, it doesn't matter right now what it is as much as what you do about it. And, and here's the choice. Let me boil it all down here. Here's the choice you got when you go through tough times. You can either become bitter or you can become better. You see, here, here's the deal. All of us will suffer at some point. Some point. That's guaranteed. We all got that in common. The question is, how do you use it? Do you let yourself get mad and bitter or do you let yourself get better? We've seen people with the same trouble who one goes one way and one goes another. You've got a choice right now and I don't want you to hold back. Again, if you've never been to a church where this has happened, I want you to feel comfortable. It's very private. Or if you've just been here a long time, you've never done it. But right now, you know this message is for you. Then just let us bear the burden with you. And more than anything, let's entrust it to God. And you can walk out these doors better. Come right now while we stand and sing.